I can pause as well. Just yeah, press just and press then, the button. And then press again. Sorry, something is uh, not all right. Okay. Morning. Shall we pray before we start? <coughs> Father, we thank you for your word and for the freedom that we have to come together as a church this morning. We pray that you will speak to us. We pray that you will help me to speak the words that you have intended for this morning. We pray that you will open our hearts to receive your words and to respond to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we started our series on the seven core values that we have as a church and you'll find them everywhere on the wall. So last week our brother Sam spoke on the first one, it's there the Bible as our sole authority. And we saw that the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation is really about Jesus. He is the Word. And all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Him, says Colossians 2. So we find all our answers for our individual lives and our lives as a church in the Bible. It is really that authority that overrules, if necessary, any other authority. Today we will look at our second core value, the gospel for all. Every tribe, 
tongue, language and nation needs Jesus because all people are sinners. Followers of Jesus have the privilege of telling the world that only Jesus can save and calling them to believe and follow him. So to phrase it slightly differently, anyone who is a sinner needs to hear the gospel. I must say, I must confess that quite often I manage to just keep quiet. May God grant us, all of us, to have a desire to reach out to the people around us, no matter who they are. Of course, never with an attitude of being superior, never arrogant, never ridiculing, no other religions like that's all foolish or something like that, never. We always approach other people with the greatest respect. And yet with confidence that we have a message, not of our own, but a message from the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. John 14. It's not a message of I'm right and you are wrong. We have a message that says, I am wrong, but I'm forgiven. And you can be forgiven too, if only you turn to Jesus. So the gospel is for all. And that does not only include you know, all those people around us, it includes ourselves in the first place. That is the first and most important question. Am I a Christian? in the sense, in, in, in its true sense, do I belong to Christ and do I follow him? And that relates to membership. See, you can be in this church right now and not be part of the church in its true sense. Why? Because you have not accepted the gospel yet of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. And if that is the case, I do hope that this sermon this morning will help you. And the gospel for all also includes our children who are enjoying Sunday school at the back at this moment. Sunday school is not just to keep the kids busy so that we as adults can enjoy the sermon. That's not what Sunday school is for. We actually want our precious children to be grounded in the Word of God. They need to hear the Gospel and then grow in the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of Him and His Word. So I'm quite sure actually, quite confident that teaching our children is as serious a business as preaching from this pulpit as I'm doing now, if not more serious. Because I can say rubbish, and I'm quite confident that there are more enough brothers and sisters who can correct me. But if we would teach our children rubbish, who are they to correct us? It's quite serious to teach our children. At the same time, we don't want to put all the burden on the shoulders of the teachers. We as parents, we have the first responsibility to teach 
our children and to to nurture their spiritual well-being it says Timothy second Timothy 3 and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus but what is the gospel how should we communicate it how should people respond to it and when is a person saved that's how we call that being saved when are you saved these are extremely important questions why it relates to death and life eternal death or eternal life that's why it's so important but there's another reason too because next week where is it oh yeah at the back unity in our fellowship that is core value number three god willing i'll be preaching on that uh, core value next week fellowship and i think most of us have realized already that to maintain this unity even as christians can be quite a challenge because we are all different different cultures and we do still have our sinful nature and we rub against each other and it's not easy to be a god glorifying church but we are really in a mess when we are not clear about who is part of the church who is family and who is a visitor I assume you are very hospitable at home, right? You, you like to welcome visitors, you know? And the same for this church. We are more than happy for anyone to come through that door and to join us and to be here. As long as you want, every week again, we are very happy to see you. But in your home, when you welcome visitors and they might come every other day or stay for three months, you still don't want them to establish the rules or to to have a say in your finances or to rearrange the furniture see very clear who is family family is family friends is friends I will elaborate on that next week when we talk about unity in a fellowship but this it's quite okay to hear that twice actually so you can step through that door every week and still not be a member of the church and you don't become a member by you know signing a document you are a member of the church which is the spiritual body of Christ when you obey the gospel the good news that's what gospel means good news and the good news is the good news is for all Shall we turn to Luke chapter 15? <coughs> Luke chapter 15, starting from verse 1.
verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners, they're all drawing near to hear him, that is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So these two verses give us the, the context. Jesus was building friendships with sinners. And the authorities of that time, they didn't like it. Remember what I said in the beginning. But Jesus didn't care. He ate with them. And that's a very good way to start. Of course, from Jesus' perspective, if he would have any friendship at all, it would be a friendship with sinners, because all were sinners. But the problem was, these Pharisees, they looked down on those tax collectors and prostitutes like sinners. But they didn't see that they themselves were sinners too, sinners in trouble. And therefore, Jesus gives them three stories, three parables, in response to their grumbling. Verse 3, so he told them this parable, what man of you? And then this, this story would address the men and the boys at that time. Then verse 8, oh, what woman? And that would address the women and the girls. And then verse 11, and he said there was a man who had two sons. And that would address the non-religious and the religious. So I'm quite confident that our Lord agrees with our core value there. It's a good thing that we check that. Shall we read the whole chapter, continuing in verse 3? So he told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance. Verse 8, O what woman, having ten silver coins, is she, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse 11, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pots that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise 
and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you, gave me a, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So as I said, gospel means good news. But these three stories, they start with bad news. The sheep was lost. And that coin, which some take it as part of the wedding headband, bit similar to a wedding ring that we have. And I have lost my wedding ring before, so I know how sad that is. And then finally, the son who was lost. But all stories, they end with joy. Joy in heaven. Joy before the angels of God. And joy in the family of God. And indeed, it is such a joy to welcome a new child of God into the family. And therefore, the gospel is good news. But it can only be good news if you are aware of the bad news first. Say I offer you, come, I will tie a rope around your waist and I'm, then I'm pulling you up. And you're like, okay, for what? Thanks, but no thanks. But if you have been on this raft for the past 40 days without food and without water, this is the best news you've ever heard. Get what I mean? So first of all, we need to know that we are lost. The sheep was lost because of foolishness. As Isaiah says, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. 
that coin was lost because of carelessness of somebody else. And that is quite sobering. Just now I mentioned our children at the Sunday school. Our children can go lost because of our carelessness. The people around us can go lost because of our carelessness. And then we had this son. We call him the prodigal son. He was lost because of his rebellion. And he could blame nobody except himself for that. It's a terrible word. <coughs> lost. Why? Because of sin. It is our sins that separate us from God. But thank God, that shepherd went after that one sheep. That woman went to look for that coin that was lost. If God had not taken the initiative, all of us would still be lost in our sins. But you say, well, in that last story about the prodigal son, at least he did something, you know, he changed his mind. He went back to his father. The father actually did nothing, just, just waiting. But at least the son did something, right? Well, that's a very good observation. I think there's a mystery about conversion. We cannot convert people. It's not like selling a product and I'm using all sorts of techniques and then I'm going to convince you into it. It doesn't work that way. Therefore, we always pray when we reach out to people. We pray, ask God to work in them. It's God's work. And at the same time, it is fully man's responsibility to respond to the gospel, to obey the gospel in <coughs> repentance and faith. So here we have that sheep, it is lost, and he can't do a thing to help himself. You know, in our children's Bibles, we always read that the sheep is making some noise, and then finally the shepherd finds him. But the sheep making noise is not in the text, actually. All we read is the shepherd goes after the sheep, and he finds him. But then, in verse 7, it says, Jesus says, just so... There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. In other words, the sheep is not considered passive. He is, by analogy, the sinner who actively repents. That's what the text says. Likewise, the coin in the second parable, see, the sheep probably could make some noise. The, the coin, which is a lifeless thing, cannot do anything from himself. And yet Jesus says, verse 10, just so there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the coin is the sinner who repents. And then in the third parable, we have the prodigal son. And you say, okay, he actually did something, right? He changed his mind, he went back. But what does the father say? My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. <coughs> so when the gospel comes to us, we can never say, oh, I cannot respond to that, I'm dead. 
And when we present the gospel to others, we don't need to tell them, okay, you go home and you pray that God will give you faith and repentance. No. It's a command. Repent. Obey. The gospel. Believe the gospel. Paul uses the word obedience of faith in Romans chapter 1. And by the way, it was announced just now, the men's Bible study will be on Romans. And I really encourage you all, brothers, to come and learn because it is really, as some have said, the cathedral of the Christian faith, the epistle of Romans. And we can learn so much more through this Bible study than from a single sermon like this. So come. So it's a command. Repent. Believe. And we need to obey. Can we do that? Well, yes. That is to say, nobody ever needs to worry whether he can actually do that. All we need to do is obey, repent, believe. And yet, when we find ourselves in the arms of the Father, like the prodigal son, we say, Oh, Father, I was dead, and you made me alive. I was lost, and you found me. See, that's the mystery. And we can't really reconcile those two sides of the one coin in our minds because our minds are limited and logic fails so on the one hand God is at work 100% and at the same time we as his creatures are responsible to respond to that offer of salvation that is freely made to all And therefore, for that reason, once we are saved, we are commanded to present that offer to the people around us. Just look at the conversion of Lydia, you might remember, in Acts chapter 16, verse 14. It says, the Lord opened her heart, that is God at work, to pay attention, that was Lydia's responsibility, to what was said by Paul. That was Paul's responsibility. So there's God who desires all people to be saved. And I wish we would grasp God's desire for all people to be saved. 1 Timothy 2. And then there's the sinner who needs to respond to the command, repent and believe. And then there's you and me who are commanded to tell that to them. But what does it mean to repent? Is it like... You make up your mind and you try to do better next time? Or is it an attempt to get rid of your sins? To never sin again or at least to, to try to somewhat improve? Well, to repent basically means you change your mind. It's a turn. A turn from sin towards God. You realize you are on that raft in the middle of the ocean that I mentioned just now. And you thought you would be as free as the ocean and it would give you everything. But you have realized that this raft brings you nowhere except to a terrible death. And then you decide to get rid of that raft. Not by jumping in the ocean. That is not repentance. That is despair. That is what Judas did. Judas felt sorry, 
then he killed himself. That is despair. We get rid of our raft because we discovered there's a rope coming down. And all we say is, Jesus, I accept. Tie that rope around my waist and pull me up. I want to be in your helicopter and you will be the pilot. It's not even us, you know, holding fast to that rope because then it will be muscle strength. And sooner or later we might let go. And I feel like that quite often. No, it's trusting Jesus. Tie that rope around me. You fix that and pull me up. I want to be yours. That is repentance and that is faith. F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all, I trust him. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. As we sang a couple of weeks ago, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. So repentance is a must, and faith is a must. You can't separate them. And yet, our repentance doesn't save us. Our faith doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. We rest in Him. And not in the quality of our repentance or the strength of our faith or something. Jesus saves us. Look at this prodigal son. He squandered his property in reckless living. He thought he was free, but it brought him nothing. And in the end, he found himself with pigs and hungry. Then he came to his senses. He said, I'm hungry. My father has food. I better go back. Now he did realize that he had to make a, a confession. He did realize that he sinned against heaven and against his father. And that's good. But still, what a lousy sort of repentance. He was hungry and therefore suddenly he realized he better go back. It was his stomach actually. And you can imagine his father would tell him, oh, now suddenly you're coming back because you're hungry. You know what? You sit in that corner first and think very hard of what you have done. How you have squandered everything and now you have hurt me. And whatever you did to our family and the name of our family. But we read nothing of that. This young man, he went on a journey to a far country and you can just imagine him on a horse or something and each day the distance grows and grows and grows. He travels, says the text, into a far country. But when he changes his mind, when he decides to return, you don't read about this long journey. What do we read? Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You see, when a sinner repents, the next moment, the very next moment, he finds himself in the father's embrace. God does not like scrutinize us whether we meet the qualifications. There are no qualifications. We can come 
just as we are. And there will never be a time when you are more fit to come to Jesus than you are now. You can just come, just as you are. Father is waiting, eager to wrap his arms around you and to welcome you as his son or daughter. That is what the ring speaks about in verse 22. And what did the young man say? Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. To sin, that means to miss the mark. It's, it's, it's a bit simplistic to put it that way, but it serves my illustration. Say you kick a ball, have a ball and you just kick it. And like myself, I'm not very good at that, so I miss the goal and I knock over a table and all the laminate is on the floor. That will cost me some 10 ringgit. And many people look at sin like, like that. They won't even call themselves a sinner. So you ask them, so you're perfect? Well, no, I'm not perfect. But you know, nobody is perfect. We all have our mistakes. I do my best. So they look <coughs> at sin as a 10 ringgit thing. But say you kick that ball again, same action. You pull one leg backward, and then you kick it forward. But instead of knocking over that table, you kick it right through this painting. By Rembrandt van Rijn, Dutch painter. Very famous, very expensive. And you destroy it. Same action, pull your leg back, push it forward. But this time, you don't get away with it for 10 ringgit. When we realize that our sin is not just some mistake that we all make, but that we sin against the holy God who created us in his own image, then we realize we are in trouble. This young man realized he sinned against heaven and he confessed that. And whatever else he planned to say, he never said. When he was caught up in his father's embrace. And it is in the arms of the father, as Christians, as his children, that throughout our life we continue to repent. And our repentance will grow. And our faith will continue to grow throughout our Christian life. Now some of you might say, well, I'm not like that younger son, you know, he went to the prostitutes and he just partied till he could, no, could not party anymore. I'm not like that. I was actually raised in a Christian family. I've been in church all my life. Well, this father in Luke 15, he had two sons. And remember, Jesus told this parable in response to the Pharisees who thought they were okay. The older son served his father and always obeyed. Oh, that's good, right? Very good, yeah. He's the religious guy. Be it Christian, no matter what denomination, evangelical, Catholic, you name it, or a Muslim, or whatever religion, he is the self-righteous guy. He's the Pharisee. He never came in to celebrate. He stayed outside. And the servant tells him, your brother has come. 
But what does he say to his father? This son of yours. You never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. Not with you, with my friends. See, you can be as close to the father as this boy in terms of you know, being in the church and going for Bible study and all these things and yet be as far from the heart of the father as this younger boy. Both of them had to repent. The younger one had to repent of his gross sins. The older one of his self-righteousness, which is sin too. It's the very ugly, nasty sin of pride that God can't take. So you see, the gospel is for all. Because we all need it desperately. Just think about this. John 3, 16. God loved the world. He gave his only son. Just think of that. God loved the world. That includes every soul on this planet. It includes you and me and all the people around us. He gave his only son. That tells me three things. In the first place, my condition, and I was raised in a Christian family, my condition as a sinner before God is so terrible that there is no way I can fix that. Why? If a God who is love in his very nature, in his essence, gave his only son, the son of his love, that means there really cannot be any other way to be saved. If there was somehow any other way to do it, he would tell us to do it. And he would encourage us and help us and all these things. But the fact that he gave his son means I cannot fix myself. Not at all. It also tells me that God loves me and you beyond measure. He gave his only son. It also tells me that rejecting that sacrifice has very, very grave consequences. It cannot be otherwise. He gave his only son. Who are we to reject that? We don't want to do that. So this is the gospel. God gave his son. And then he commands us to turn from sin to God and to trust in the work of Christ for you on the cross. Come. And Jesus promised, John 6, 37, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then it says in Luke 15, as we read, they began to celebrate. And the feast will never end. So how do we share this news with the people around us? Where do we start? Well, Jesus received sinners and he ate with them. And we can do the same. The Pharisees didn't like that. And then Jesus uses that opportunity to give them and give us this wonderful story. 
So are we intentional about sharing the gospel with people? And do we look for opportunity to respond in whatever situation that comes up, to respond with the gospel? Are we intentional about that? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for that verse in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We thank you that you did that to save us. I pray, Father, if there's somebody in this room who has not accepted that offer, that he or she will hear your call and say, I want to get rid of this raft that brings me nowhere. I want to be pulled up to be yours. I trust in you. Father, help us as well, those of us who belong to you, who are your children, to reach out to the people around us who are still lost in their sins. We thank you for the universal offer that is made to all, no exceptions. We pray that as a church, we will glorify you also through reaching out to the people around us. Give us wisdom in this country, give us courage, and give us, most of all, a love and a desire in our hearts for lost people, as you have in your own heart. We pray in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen. So next week we will continue our series. And as I said last week, as we work through this series, um, and at the beginning of a new season, we are thinking and praying about all that involves this church. I mentioned the children's work, the Sunday school just now, thinking about a youth group, thinking about leadership, membership, all these things. And we want to ask you to pray along that God will help us and guide us because we want to be a God-glorifying church. So please help yourself to donuts that are left or coffee and use the time to fellowship. If there are prayer requests, be very happy for you to come forward and pray for you or talk about things. Um, and then see you next week, if not tomorrow at the Bible study.